You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Ancestral Elements Podcast, episode 24, Developmental Nutrition. This is going to take a look at what it takes to not only conceive, but to have a successful pregnancy and then post-pregnancy. I want to spend quite a bit of time today talking about the planning of pregnancy, because like anything challenging, the more you plan, the more you get things figured out beforehand, usually the smoother the execution is going to go. Now, obviously, when we're talking about biology, that's not always the case, but it's sure not going to hurt. Now, I should point out that conventional nutrition wisdom in the area of developmental nutrition starts after conception already has happened. It's very, very rare that you attend a developmental nutrition class and they talk about health of the mother and father preconception, which is, in my opinion, a huge, huge error. And I think largely this has to do with just the notion that Young 20-something-year-olds or 30-something-year-olds are generally healthy, which is true, typically. But it doesn't mean that there can't be underlying health concerns that will affect the pregnancy or the health of the mother post-pregnancy. And I'll let you know, through my little more than a decade of doing body work, I've had the opportunity to work with a ton of pregnant women. And I can pretty much say with confidence across the board that Whatever you have going on before you get pregnant will generally be exacerbated with the complex biological phenomenon that pregnancy is. Now, that's not true 100% of the time because there are physiological changes that will cause some things to get better as you get farther into pregnancy, but we'll talk about those later on. Let's not get hung up on that. And it makes sense that having really good, robust health before you get pregnant is generally going to (laughs) be a better idea than the alternative of that. So let's start out talking about what you need to do to prepare your body for pregnancy. All right, number one, I would get some lab data, not only blood values, hormone levels, things of that nature, but also some genetic testing, because you definitely would want to base your nutrition off of your individual needs, especially when it comes to kind of predisposition on the genetic level or epigenetic level for that matter because that is going to dictate how you should probably move forward before you get pregnant. It'll bring up possible risk factors, and you'll be able to get a much clearer idea of what you need to do with your nutrition beforehand and during the pregnancy to keep things stabilized. You know, it could be something as simple as checking your insulin levels. Maybe your fasting blood glucose is a bit high before you conceive. You'll want to get that down into a very, very normal range, because again, that can possibly be exacerbated throughout pregnancy because gestational diabetes is a very real thing and very common if you're not watching blood sugar. And then you have other things like folate metabolism. And folate is one of the primary factors that will either cause abnormal neural tube development or normal neural tube development. And depending on how your body metabolizes that and whether or not you have enough folate in your diet will depend how your baby's nervous system develops. Everything from spinal cord development to brain development can a lot of times be down to just a single nutrient in the way your body breaks it down. And if you have a genetic modification, 
known as an MTHFR gene modification or mutation, then your body will process folate a lot slower than the average person. So knowing that going in, you may have to increase the uptake of your folate folate into your diet so you can assure that your baby isn't having any neural tube defect development. I mean, and that's not a standard test that a doctor would prescribe before you give birth or even any time during pregnancy. The recommended advice in that area is just to take a folate supplement, but sometimes that's not enough. And so knowing these little things before you conceive is going to get rid of a lot of the late work you're going to have to do during pregnancy or post-pregnancy to correct either deficiencies or some type of negative outcome. And this is something not just for women to do, but for men to do also, because the health of the man really, really factors into the health of the baby. Really, it comes down to the reproductive health of the man, not only in sperm concentration, but in sperm motility and what genetic factors the man is passing down. It's really about optimizing your biology so that you can pass down optimized biology. That's kind of what you want to aim for. Now, depending on where you're at with your health and nutrition, that may require a lot more work. Or if you already have really good nutrition and a balanced lifestyle where you're managing stress, it may not be as bad. It just kind of depends where you're at. But definitely start with some blood tests. Start with a complete blood count. So CBC, get a vitamin D, get a hormone panel, get C-reactive protein so you know what your inflammation is at. Because again, if anything's inflamed, then all your organs are going to be affected especially reproductive organs, and you don't want to be passing down any predispositions or potential harmful development, and do that if you're a man or a woman. I mean, get all those, get all that information so you have it. And again, depending on where you're at with that info, you'll have to dial in your nutrition from that info. I wouldn't just guess if you can help it. Women, if you're on birth control, get off of it, obviously. I would spend probably at least a year off of birth control completely. That way your hormones can start to regulate out. Two years would be best, but it takes a long time for the hormones to balance out. I talked quite a bit about that with Katie Walchek on the PCOS episode, so if you haven't listened to that, check it out. That can be a really, really big crucial factor. Even if you get pregnant, it can have some repercussions with fetal development. Guys, get a sperm count. You'll want to know the concentration going in, and if there's anything you can do to heighten that amount of concentration, do it, because that's going to be an important step before you try to conceive. And then detoxing. Detoxing from all the petrochemicals that we interact with on a daily basis in our built environment, right? Things like sauna and cold plunging, where you can sweat some of that stuff out, you know, things like bisphenols in the petrochemical category. So BPA, BPS, BPF, all of those you can partially sweat out and detox from, which we're getting that all the time with food products and in the water, all those chlorine compounds that we're drinking, all that stuff. You're going to want to try to flush as much of that stuff out of your body as you possibly can. You want to start out from kind of as a, a purest form of you, the best form of you as humanly possible, because that's going to provide the best chance, the best outcome as humanly possible. Things like quitting smoking, quit your excess drinking, you know, all of those things contribute massively to developmental nutrition and fetal development. Get on a good exercise routine, 
the more muscle mass you can put on, the better for both men and women. Women especially work on the core and lifting up that pelvic floor. I mean, I can't tell you how many thousands of women I've seen with completely ruined pelvic floors after pregnancy, and not just from the actual birthing process, but from just the weight and not having the musculature built around the pelvis to support being pregnant. And not to mention, it's going to be a lot quicker of a recovery the more you can build that musculature, not only internally in the vagina, but also through the abdomen. So very, very important. I wouldn't miss that step. For women, you can look at tools like jade eggs that you insert into the vagina and you can hang a little bit of weight from it and you get some resistance and you can build internal musculature that way and it'll lift the pelvic floor. That's probably the easiest route to go. And then there's, you know, various other pelvic floor exercises. Men, you want to develop as much musculature as really possible that's healthy in a natural way before you conceive because it's going to build testosterone and it's going to just, again, heighten that sperm concentration. Nutritionally, you really want to be getting good omega-3 fatty acids, DHA, EPA, eating really rich mineral foods like shellfish and seafoods is going to be very, very important. You want to get good cholesterol and high, a relatively high dietary fat. There's an interesting study done with mice where they fed mice high di dietary fat and then they had a control group and the mice that were fed high dietary fat before pregnancy actually ended up faring way, way better through the entire pregnancy and postpartum than the control group did because you had aspects of cholesterol in there that would build steroids and that helps with tissue regeneration and genesis. You get neurogenesis and things like that. You get tissue creation and you're going to want that if you're going to be building a life. And that goes for men and women. Again, eating good organ meats, liver, kidney, things like that are going to build the blood just full of nutrients. You're going to have good iron, good vitamin B12, all very, very necessary things to regulate metabolism and regulate the microbiome because that's the other interesting piece. For women, your microbiome changes drastically during pregnancy. And the, the more diverse your microbiome can be, the more opportunity it has to hold up during pregnancy because it shifts and it needs more bacteria, more viruses, more archaea, more fungi, more protists in developmental stages. And so the more you have to kind of draw from, the more resource you have to draw from in the microbiome, it's going to support you and your baby's health way, way more. You know, a lot of times women can have trouble with blood pressure dropping a bit or with iron levels. That can be taken care of largely with liver supplementation and making sure you have adequate hemoglobin running through the blood carrying oxygen. All that is going to be beneficial to keep things regulated through every trimester. And you want to start that before you can. Because really what you're looking at, you're looking at ferritin levels, which is a blood protein molecule that stores iron. It's kind of like the house that iron sits in. And so typically you want to get that measured before pregnancy, usually in mid-second trimester and then late third trimester to make sure you're hitting normal levels. And roughly during pregnancy, you need about a gram to kind of keep normal iron level homeostasis because it tends to kind of rob iron 
because there's a lot of development and growth going on, and iron is crucial to that. So you need quite a bit throughout the duration of your pregnancy. So anything you can do beforehand to build the blood, to build nutrition, to limit your anxiety, to limit your stress, to control all of that is going to help you not only through your pregnancy, but at the end. Because when things come up like postpartum depression, as we know and have talked about a lot on this podcast, neurotransmitters are made in the microbiome. As we know with pregnancy, the microbiome drastically shifts throughout the different stages in your pregnancy. So if you can keep that supplied, again, with really good, adequate nutrition, things like, again, rich omega-3 fatty acids, high mineral content, good amounts of vitamin C, keeping your immune system up with zinc and trace minerals and magnesium, all of these things are going to help just settle the flare-ups that could potentially be there with a lack of nutrition. Those spikes of emotions aren't going to be as drastic. Your body is going to be able to have enough nutrients to supply not only your baby through the entire term of your pregnancy, but for you at the end. And it's going to have enough energy and nutrition to rebuild your body after pregnancy and after you give birth. I mean, if you think about it, I think most women train harder for a 5K in their local town than they do for pregnancy, which is kind of crazy because look at everything your body has to go through biologically to create life. You should really be treating this like a training program. You're training your bodies to create life. And if it seems like a ton of work, it is, but it's going to be a hell of a lot less work than actually taking care of a child. I mean, if you can't do that, then man, you're going to have a rough time actually taking care of a kid, especially a kid that could potentially have some poor outcomes. And I know that sounds super harsh. I know how that sounds. But honestly, the times are calling for this because birth rates are dropping dramatically year after year, generation after generation. We are becoming unhealthier than the previous generation. And that is on a steep rise. Never before in human history has the future generation been unhealthier than the previous generation. And we're becoming sicker as time unfolds. And it's not looking like it's getting any better. Birth rates are falling drastically. People can't conceive anymore. So when I'm talking about all this stuff, it's not just some kind of rose-colored glasses pipe dream that I'm talking about. I mean, this is honestly very crucial to be successful in this day and age. It takes a drastic approach, unfortunately. It wasn't really like that 150 years ago. I mean, you still needed to to prepare for pregnancy, but you didn't have to do as much because our lifestyle was not as out of touch as it is in this current day and age. And everything that is seen in the study of epigenetics, nutrigenetics, nutrigenomics, that whole field of study, it all relates back to nutrition and environment. You can change it all if you choose to. I mean, people don't like to talk about the fact that your sperm concentration or lack thereof and the way the sperm structure themselves has an effect on autism rate. If you have low sperm motility and lack of concentration, it can flag some genes for a potential autistic child. But nobody wants to admit that. Nobody wants to blame themselves. And I'm not suggesting it's entirely 
the parent's fault. What I am saying is that there's a lot to be done beforehand. During pregnancy and before pregnancy, both men and women should be taking a lot of chelating type agents things that are going to kind of take out heavy metals and, and bind to heavy metals in your system. Chlorella is an algae that is fantastic at this job. So probably with every meal, if you're pregnant, I would be taking chlorella. Um, you can just put it into some water or you can sprinkle it onto some food or put it in smoothies, whatever you want to do. That's a good thing to be doing because you're going to be getting rid of kind of those heavier metals that could potentially build up into tissues, especially neurological tissues, and you don't want to be overwhelming your system with those types of things. So you want good chelating agents in your nutrition. Man, and also things like caviar before you conceive. Really good, rich things that can provide amino acids, choline, DHA, EPA, any of those really good cholesterol sources. They're going to, again, have a steroidal component to that. And it's going to just help build tissue and keep tissue built and keep the blood built. In the plant kingdom, good antioxidants, so blackberries, blueberries. In the fungal world, things like chaga mushroom and reishi mushroom and lion's mane, all of that is going to be very, very important. For the kingdom of protists in this five kingdom approach of nutrition that you should be focusing in, seaweeds. You have nori and kombu, things like that, seaweed salads, right? Again, good mineral content, good iodine, keeping things regulated. If you focus on these five kingdoms, plant, animal, fungi, bacterial, protist, you're going to be set up for some really good nutrition. And then you can start diversifying within all those five kingdoms. You can diversify your animals, diversify your plants, diversify your algaes, diversify your protists. Diversify your bacteria, you know, fermented foods, kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, any of those are going to be beneficial to the microbiome. Kombucha can be great through pregnancy as well. Vary the types of fungi you're taking in, the types of mushrooms. Eat lion's mane, eat straw mushrooms, eat portabellas, eat button mushrooms. All of those are very, very distinct species, and you can easily get different species of mushroom in. And all of that's going to be really, really good to keep a robust microbiota. And that's a cool thing about this style of nutrition that I'm talking about. If you just look at it from a kingdom perspective, then you can start to tweak within those kingdoms, but you know the broad categories are covered. You don't have to worry about all this worrying about the different types of calories you're getting in and the fat content and stuff. All that kind of starts to just fade away because you've covered your initial basis. The foundation is built. And then all you need to do is tweak for your own personal goals or needs or what you want to do in your life. But your basic needs are met. They're met with this style of nutrition, which is hard to say with really any other style of nutrition or fad diet, because most of the time you're eliminating one or more types of species on a fad diet. And to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. They're there for a reason. They've been utilized throughout human history for a reason. And sometimes it's just not species that you're doing away with. Sometimes it's whole kingdoms of food, like the animal kingdom, for example. There's a lot of nutrition to be derived from the animal kingdom or the plant kingdom. There's a lot of nutrition and a lot of medicine to be derived from the plant kingdom. So, I don't know, throwing it away to me is a bit uh, nearsighted. And I understand why people do it. There's ethical reasons and moral obligations that people have, and that's fine. But it's something to really consider when you're talking about passing on generational health, because if you're eliminating whole kingdom of life in your diet, 
and wanting to pass down the best nutrition, it becomes a lot more complicated to do that. I mean, there's a reason why people don't advocate to put small children and babies on a vegan diet. It just doesn't work that well. And it's no different in vitro, really. Um, it can be done, but it's infinitely more complicated and you have to remain that much more vigilant. And if that's something you want to do, you know, by all means, I'm not going to stop you, but just know that going in that it's going to be a lot, lot harder and you're going to have to stay on top of things a lot more than with a full varied five kingdom approach with varied species within all of those five kingdoms. And then getting back to the elements, engaging with elements, engaging with the sun, the water, the earth, the metal, the wood, all of those basic things. If you engage with them, if you interact with them on a daily basis, if you're getting good sun exposure and fresh air and clean water and getting your body into bodies of water, all of those natural elements will connect to your natural elements that make you who you are, which is your genetics. That's your genes. That's your epigenome. It's those natural elements. That's what they're derived from. And so syncing up to those is only going to be beneficial for passing on life. Oh, and speaking of natural elements, exposure to sun is going to be super, super important. It not only limits inflammation due to infrared light, but it also is going to be synthesizing vitamin D. And vitamin D is very, very important to have good high levels of vitamin D in your body. Because again, that is a hormone. I'm going to repeat that one more time. It's a hormone and a hormone that has drastic effects on your total genome, up to 5%. Imagine the thousands of people that are having kids right now that are chronically deficient in vitamin D. Not a good thing. And so the higher your levels in vitamin D, the better it's going to be because it's going to protect not only your immune system, but it acts as an antioxidant. And it's just going to be way better overall for your whole entire endocrine system, for that whole system of hormones that gets fluctuated up and down during pregnancy. And now you can see why I, in general, recommend that you take about a year to do all this stuff. Because that gives you enough time to develop not only new habits surrounding all this stuff, but it gives you time to engage with these basic elements of nature throughout every season. You see what I'm getting at? And so if you take a full year to do that, your body is going to be built and ready to go. <laughs> that is a lot different than drinking four gin and tonics and, uh, you know, making a baby. And so during pregnancy, it's the same type of stuff. Engage in the natural elements, get really good sleep, prepare your body, do stress reduction work, whether it's meditation or yoga, go for walks, keep your body moving. That's maybe the single biggest difference between, at least that I've noticed, between women that seem to be comfortable and, I guess, tolerating the difficulties of pregnancy versus the women who are just miserable. Movement is typically the key to that, whether it's just taking walks a few times a day, you know, for a couple miles during pregnancy, even late stage, third trimester. I mean, you could do 10 miles if you really wanted, you know, historically, biologically, that's not like it's, um, you're really at risk in late stage. I mean, unless you have some risk factors associated with your pregnancy, then obviously you'll need to be more careful. But if you have a healthy pregnancy, you can still exercise. You can still walk. I mean, <laughs> you can do things. It's not like you're handicapped. 
I think for whatever reason, people tend to think that pregnant women like have some type of handicap, like their body wasn't designed to do this. But I mean, it is. I mean, hunter gatherers, their average length of of time before they were up and around after they delivered was like 20 minutes. And I'm not kidding about that. They were literally back to work and foraging and cooking within like the hour after they gave birth. You see that almost ubiquitously across hunter-gatherer populations from the Arctic to the Amazon jungles. And the other huge difference from an ancestral perspective and hunter-gatherer's perspective is the amount of physical contact that they had with their newborns. There was no cry it out method. They were immediately there picking up and consoling the infant. Um, and I think most people realize that the cry it out method isn't the best for things like cortisol in newborns and stress mechanisms and neural connections that it makes. I mean, there's still debate about that. But if you were to really look at the research, it's fairly clear that it's not necessarily the right thing to do. And I think biologically, a lot of mothers know that intrinsically. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not going to be a mom. So it's hard for me to say and I'm a little out of my depth here. But historically, from a historical and hunter-gatherer standpoint, they had a ton of physical contact with their children. I mean, they slept right there next to them. They were there all the time their every need. And then when it came for them to become a little more independent, then they became more independent. But they always had people looking out for them because you were living in a smaller community. So it's a little bit different to the family structures that we have, especially in the United States. And if you guys want more info on hunter-gatherer style parenting, check out Hunt Gather Parent. It's by Michaeline Dewcliffe. I've been reading that book, and it's a pretty amazing book. It's on the New York Times bestseller list right now, and if you're interested, you guys should check it out. And I'll be sure to throw up a link in the show notes. Anyway, back to nutrition. So after you give birth, really, you should flip that preconception plan into your post-birth plan. So the things you did to prepare your body for birth, use most of those same things to restore your body after birth because it's going to be beat up no matter how diligent you are. You're going to have to really restore and repair your body, but it's going to be far less of an uphill climb compared to the person who just drank four gin and tonics and decided to have a baby rather than somebody who prepared the year prior, prepared their body and stored up good nutrition so they could get through the pregnancy easier and manage symptoms. Some postnatal things that can pop up are things like diastasis recti, which is a separation of the abdominal wall from the diaphragm, so the abs literally kind of separate, and that's typically due to a lack of musculature and a weak pelvic floor. That's when you see the most severe cases anyway. So again, the more you can build that up, and the more you can repair that, if it does happen after birth, the better. So again, managing your core, right? Getting good exercise and engaging that core is going to help repair that type of thing. And it's pretty common that they check for it. They didn't used to, but I think they pretty much check for it every time now because it's very, very common. And it can. there's an actual link between an unhealthy gut and microbiome and a prevalence of diastasis recti. So again, your nutrition absolutely factors into it. You know, getting good collagen, bone broth is another fantastic thing to be drinking all the time and building up, especially post-birth. But 
at any time, pre, during, or post, you'd be getting a ton of bone broth in. So all these things matter, and all these things will help you fare out better. And again, it's not just the woman's responsibility. The men has to do work. They just have to do it all beforehand. I mean, really getting pregnant is kind of the easy, fun part. The hard stuff is before and then after, you know, like anything, right? Really, it's that planning stage and getting to that point of execution that is the most challenging, typically, you know. Again, training for a race, it's the training that's hard. The race is the fun part, right? I mean, if you train... If you were to train as hard as you do for a marathon, as you did for pregnancy, I think we would see a lot better pregnancy outcomes than we do in this day and age. But that's just not the case. And I hope that that changes. This is my proposal to make that change. And so I hope if somebody's listening to this that is planning on getting pregnant or is pregnant, that they're able to incorporate some of these ideas into their own life. Because... Clearly, there's some stuff going on. Clearly, infertility rates are dropping drastically, more and more, every single year. And we're headed down a pretty interesting path. I mean, the world population within the next generation is predicted to fall because we're not able to conceive anymore as a human population. And that's never happened before. We're in unprecedented times. And it calls for extreme change and extreme discipline to get us back to where we need to be, to get us back to an even baseline. And I would encourage you, if you are wanting more information on pregnancy, look to other cultures, look to other times in history to see how they were doing it. You know, it's interesting in Northern European countries, for example, Sweden, Norway, pregnant women still use the sauna, which in this culture, a lot of times that's kind of frowned upon. A lot of times they give birth in the sauna, obviously not at 200 degrees Fahrenheit, but it's very, very common. And their cardiovascular systems are far better than ours, far better for pregnant women. They don't have blood pressure issues or diabetes prevalence that we do. You know, so when you start looking at little examples like that, we don't necessarily have all the answers. There is a lot to be improved upon with fertility and with childbirth. And I think it's something we don't really do that great in as a Western civilized country. And yes, birth rates historically are way up. I mean, survivability, there's no question that infants are surviving way more frequently than they used to in the past. I mean, I'm a perfect example of that. I was one pound, 12 ounces. There's no way I would have survived 100 years ago even. But it's the chronic long-term effect that seem to be plaguing this population more and more. You know, rates of autism are going up year after year. Infertility is going up year after year. It's these chronic lifestyle things that are the issue. Yes, we have more survivability, but how good is that survivability? That's the bigger question to be asked. And how can you manage that? Well, you manage most of that through diet and lifestyle. And these are kind of the fundamental principles you should be looking at because they're the ones you can easily manage and control. So again, keeping a broad approach to nutrition, a five-kingdom approach, animal, plant, bacterial, fungi, protist. Those five kingdoms in variation and variability within those five kingdoms will provide you with ample nutrition. Then you throw in some supplementation to kind of fill in the gaps or to get extra if you need it biologically or epigenetically, then you're going to be covered and you're going to be producing healthy ops. And I would highly recommend some stress reduction techniques. Body work is great for pregnant women. I mean, you want to talk about 
controlling and toning down the nervous system and getting deep relaxation through the body, that's a great way to do it. A great thing to get at least, you know, a five or six massages during pregnancy. It'd be great, you know, if you could do one a month, but it's not always realistic for everybody, but that's a great way to do it. Another really interesting thing is relaxin hormone. So relaxin hormone is really only developed when you're pregnant. It's That's not actually necessarily true. There's a very similar relaxin hormone that happens at puberty for both men and women um, because the structure in the connective tissue needs to be relaxed in order for the body to grow. And so when you're pregnant and everything's expanding, right, blood volume doubles in the second trimester. Think about the force in the vasculature and in the arteries with double the blood volume. You wouldn't put double the oil in your car because it would start blowing parts of the engine apart. So you need the relaxant hormone to get through your entire body to relax all the connective tissue, all the vasculature, to relax your skeleton so your body can expand. So what I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, when sometimes there's clinical symptoms that actually get better with pregnancy and this relaxant hormone in particular, occasionally if you have really bad scoliosis or some type of connective tissue disorder, it'll actually get better with this relaxant hormone because the body finally has a chance to fully expand and relax. And again, body work is great to help the body do that, to get the nervous system to relax so the tissues can finally open up. And it does that extremely well with relaxing hormone flowing through it. So massage is great. You never have to worry about body work when you're pregnant. And you don't have to worry about any points on the ankles or feet or working any particular points. That's a myth. It, you can't trigger labor with just pressing on points of the body. That's that's not a real thing. Um, matter of fact, it's the baby that triggers labor. And it does that for one of two reasons. It's either ready to be delivered or the internal environment is not conducive to survivability. But really, the bottom line is if you're taking your health seriously all the way down to the genetic level, then chances are your baby is going to be healthy and that baby's reproductive system is going to be healthy. And on and on it goes. Because Again, you are the one that is making your baby's reproductive system. You're making your baby's sperm. You're making your baby's eggs. It comes from you. That's why you're so connected to your grandparents, because it affects two generations, not just one. So you're doing this for two. I mean, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. It really shouldn't. I can tell you from experience, from my own personal experience, it is not fun having to overcome hardships when you're a small child. I had to overcome more hardships than most people have to encounter in their entire life in the first three months of my life, let alone the next 14 years that was a slog. It's not fun. So the more you can set yourself up and your children up and your grandchildren up for success, the better. All right, guys, I think that'll about do it for another episode. Hey, and if you guys have questions about any of the topics we cover, feel free to give me an email. Um, I'd love to hear them. And I'd love to do I'd love to do a whole podcast Q&A. So if you have questions about any of these episodes, shoot me an email, info at ancestralelements.com. I'd love to hear from you. And you can always reach out to me on Instagram as well. My Instagram handle is at ancestralelements. Feel free to direct message me there. And I'd be more than happy to talk with you and answer questions on an upcoming podcast. As always, stay healthy. 
stay safe, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail. And you can connect with other listeners. Thank you.